Hello all you seekers, explorers and renegades out there. Welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. So in light of the events of the last 10 days, with the world eruption into instability and uncertainty again, I thought it was appropriate to bring up the topic of collective emotions and what they are, how they affect us and uh, how we feed into the collective emotions ourselves. So for anyone who's sensitive and aware to the collective energies, you will have noticed, similar to like a full moon or something like that, that there is certainly fluctuations in the energies in the collective consciousness uh, when these kind of events happen that affect the whole world or everything around us. So you could be sitting in America and suddenly feeling this tremendous level of anxiety and fear, even though you're nowhere near uh, the events here in Europe or even in the uh, eye of the storm, as it were, in Ukraine. The thing is that we do have a choice in as to what emotions and what energies we take on. But if we're kind of asleep at the wheel of life as we're kind of speeding through life, then uh, we are probably not going to be aware of these energies that are affecting us. But it is a choice to take a step forward and uh, bring ourselves to tap into that uh, awareness about ourselves. So this conversation is really there to help you empower yourself as to um, how you show up uh, in times of crises and how you can with your strength, help the collective consciousness uh, simmer down and ease down uh, so that all sides of uh, any conflict or, you know, we can all help to just bring down uh, the levels of aggression and so forth. So let's all do what we can to bring peace to not only the current situation, but also for the future and uh, see what we can do to achieve complete and unconditional peace across the world for all times to come. And un- understanding the collective consciousness and the collective emotions might be a step for you to contribute towards that future. But now, let's uh, get into the discussion and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Elon Musk, we all know about, um, he-, he does come up with some uh, deep, profound things occasionally. And uh, one of the quotes I found from him was that, uh, I came to the conclusion that we should aspire to increase the scope and scale of human consciousness in order to better understand what questions to ask. Really, the only thing that makes sense is to strive for a greater collective enlightenment. Now, there are... You know, the collective consciousness, um, and we can argue till, <laughs> uh, kind of discuss till the cows come home, uh, whether the collective, collective consciousness is a real thing or not. Um, there is one of the more prominent uh, research uh, projects that is going on and has been going on for the past 30 years, I think, is the Global Consciousness Project, uh, which uh, is out of originally out of uh, Princeton University, and um, I think they still have an affiliation there, but it's uh, the logistics of it is now facilitated by the Institute of Noetic Sciences. 
Um, and the what they do essentially, they have these random number generators across the world uh, in loads of different locations. And from a statistical perspective, they over time it should be. I think they register like uh, numbers, uh, uh, plus numbers and minus numbers. So the average should be zero or perhaps minus one or plus one. But there, there's like a statistical anomaly or a statistical uh, variation that is acceptable. Now, when we look at events such as, you know, if we look in countries that enjoy football or soccer for you who are on the American continent. Uh, uh, when there's a World Cup, for example, you will notice there is a rise or there's a, a fluctuation in these uh, random number generators uh, for that particular uh, period. And it can be very short, it can be prolonged. Um, and for example, when it's New Year's Eve, perhaps not during the pandemic, but in, <laughs> in original times as well, uh, you could see these um, random number generators fluctuate as the uh, midnight was kind of happening in each uh, time zone. Um, and also during catastrophes like the 9-11 the terrorist attacks in New York, for example, there were fluctuations, I think like two hours before the planes hit. So when we look at the Heart Math Institute, for example, we know that the heart knows the information coming to you before uh, your brain does, before your brain actually uh, receives it through your eyes or your ears or however it's being received. So all of these things do lend themselves to support the concept of a collective consciousness that we collectively affect things around us. So um, on an individual basis, we have our own energies that we, uh, you know, positive and negative vibrations, frequencies that we, we uh, send out. Uh, when we interact with others, we, we receive their, or their energy to, towards us. Now that applies to a group, uh, to a group uh, setting as well. So you can take your community, your neighborhood, for example, that becomes a collective consciousness. Uh, we can take us here and during this presentation, um, we're now forming a collective consciousness because we are focusing on the same thing. We are bringing ourselves together to focus on one thing. Um, and th that's why you will hear me often <laughs> when we finish these conversations. I thank you all for bringing your best energy because it does really have an impact on uh, the conversation, how it goes, you know, how people feel about being present in the group and so forth. So when we, when we start to zoom out and look at humanity as a whole, when it comes to the collective consciousness, um, then of course, when there are challenging times, we are affected. We can, because we receive as well as send out 
into the collective consciousness. So there, there's a prevailing kind of uh, energy in the collective consciousness. Um, and uh, if you ever kind of studied uh, Vadim Zeeland's uh, work, uh, for example, he's got a book called uh, Trans Surfing. Well, I can't see it here, but uh, there you go. And he talks about something called the pendulum rule. Um, and you will probably notice this if you study history, where, for, uh, for example, you will have a kind of a prevailing conservatism in the world. And that when that reaches its extreme or its pinnacle, it kind of swings back towards a more lib or moderate uh, kind of attitude. And then past that point, it swings up to a more progressive uh, kind of attitude. And when that reaches its pinnacle, it'll swing back towards the conservative. So it'll, you have this pendulum effect. Now, if we as individuals aren't aware of this, we are swinging widely with this pendulum effect back and forth, back and forth. And we have no idea what we're doing it. We're just doing it because it's because everybody else is doing it. And that's part of that collective consciousness. We are being affected by it, but we don't understand why. Now, it is our choice to jump off the pendulum, as it were. We can make that choice. So uh as the the idea behind today's topic obviously has come up because i've noticed uh, a lot of changes uh, and interactions from the collective consciousness during this period with uh the instabilities in europe at the moment um and you know this is not a conversation for or against um I very much subscribe to Mother Teresa's concept of I won't um, demonstrate against, I will only demonstrate for. I will only propagate for. So uh, this is certainly not a conversation to talk about for or against. This is talking about, you know, how are we affected by the collective consciousness and what is what can we do about taking charge of our own energy and being empowered to take charge of our own energy and how can we affect the collective consciousness in a direction that is beneficial to humanity thanks chris uh that was really great introduction i i love everything that you were saying and i suppose a couple of things that um that kind of came into my mind when you were talking it was uh the theory of collective unconsciousness talked by uh, Carl Gustav Jung or uh, something that is expressed by Rupert Sheldrake and the research that he's doing on the morphic resonance, for example. Yeah. And it's um, for those people who, who listen to us and never heard of the morphic resonance is something that you um, kind of explained in the collective consciousness is the fact that, um, you know, for example, rats, when they are learned when they learn some new skills in London, it becomes very easy, much easier for rats to learn that in Belgium or in Germany. So when they learn new trick, how to get food, even those 
even though even though those rats in Belgium or Germany or or even in America they don't have any physical connections, they are much more likely to learn that new skills. So it's uh, indicates that you know there is that there is that field of consciousness which really subscribe to you know to the uh, models of panpsychism that consciousness might be some kind of the field that we kind of tune into it. And we can and tap is, into it, right? Uh, we can tap into it exactly, and. Um, I some time ago I came across those those really great studies in the psychological studies and there were three groups of people the research have um, divided people into like three three groups one group was the, of course the control group in which they just did the IQ test the second group they put the white coat on them and they said this is the painter's coat and the third group was the doctor's coat so exactly the same coat as the second group, but one group was told this is the painter. The second group was just kind of, you know, the doctors. The first group, of course, the, without the code that established the threshold of the IQ across the measured population. <laughs> the group that had the painter's code scored lower, significantly lower. The group that um, scored higher, uh, or the, the, the group that was convinced that the code belongs to doctors scored much higher. And of course, the difference were significant. So there are things like that suggest that our consciousness is kind of the relationship that we have with the environment. And then the seat of I, that kind of the consciousness of, of ourselves, it might be kind of more like a receiver of what we are getting from the environment, from the collection of people, from the collection of the environment, from peers and from, from the media, from all of the resources that is coming to our, to our way. And we can get to be, you know, um, persuade that the code that we are wearing is the doctor's code or is the painter's code, or we can just look at this as the code because the decision is what you, are, Christopher, what you Christopher said, is up to us. Mm -hmm. What you want to do with that information is up to us. So even if the whole world try to you know persuade us, ah, this is the way it is. Finally, and you know it's our decision how we're gonna interact with that that um, stimuli that that knowledge. And this is something that Tim Frickis said in the conversation that I had with him some time ago. That everything is the relationship, and that the relationship is constantly evolving. Because the world is constantly evolving. So, and the, the relationship between you and that world and between that collective unconsciousness is changing all the time. So, it, but it's up to you how you adopt to, to that. Whether you adopt it from the position that I'm interested, I'm intrigued, I want to stay open-minded or I'm closed. And, you know, I, I just bring that, that, that old energy with me all the time and I look at, at everything that is happening through those lenses. Well, and uh, I think what you're alluding to there is whether we we ask the questions from our own perspective and our own way of experiencing it, or whether we accept the kind of conditioning that the uh, the kind of environment that we grew up in, uh, the conditioning of that, that we just follow along as it were. Absolutely, because you know my experience is completely different experience to my parents' experience. But when I was child, I heard you know this, um, you know things several times. I don't I don't have any like good example that nothing comes to my mind. But I heard 
things over and over again. And when I was a teenager, that was true. But then, you know, why I, I moved out, I, I, I moved to a different country, and then I look at people and, hmm, actually what my parents believed is not exactly true. Mm -hmm. So that moment of awareness is my point in which I can change the relationship with. And a lot of people think that, oh, I am like during that point in which that awareness coming into that consciousness, they feel often that oh, I'm a failure. I'm failing my loved ones. I'm failing the society. I, I'm failing my tribe. But the other way to look at this is like, oh my God, I have the new awareness about that subject and I can change the relationship with that. And I can, that awareness can lead me towards being more authentic or living my authentic life or no. But that's, Again, it's up to that individual of what they, how they're going to react to that and respond to that knowledge. Well, absolutely. And that, that's kind of the awakening process where you, you kind of get thrown, or if we use the Vadim's uh, uh, metaphor of the pendulum, uh, when you get kind of thrown off the uh, pendulum and now you're floundering and you're wondering what's happening and it's all very scary and confusing and all of that, um, but then it becomes empowering as you start to make your choices as to uh, what energy you embody and bring forward. Um, so the when we, for example, are in these states of mind or states of emotions across the world as humanity, um, and you know it could be the globe itself that is exuding uh, energy or animals as well because they all are part of this collective consciousness um, so if if there is a prevailing emotion of fear in the collective consciousness we, and we and we're not aware of it we feed on that we, we kind of get that fear into ourselves and we can we can step into that and we can feel start feeling anxious we can start feeling all very out of sorts and uh, testy and short-tempered and so forth and it's it doesn't generate it doesn't originate from our typical way of showing up but the point here is that if we do that then there or basically if the only way you are going to be affected by these energies or this collective consciousness is if you have an unhealed element of what's affecting you within yourself. So if you have that lack or there's a sense of fear of lack of security in your life, then that's an unhealed element within you that can then get triggered by uh, low frequency energies from the collective consciousness. So these are all factors that we can use to kind of tune in to ourselves and say, oh, this is not how I normally react to things. This is not normally how I feel. This is, I don't understand why I'm necessarily feeling this way right now. And we can start making asking those questions that, that Carol was pointing out that you know start questioning our own experience why we're having it and start because 
once we start asking the questions, questions we are compelled to receive an answer. Uh, so once we are asked that question, we can, you know, go somewhere uh, with it, such as, oh, I wonder where, where this is coming from. Oh, I'm feeling like this. This is interesting. So we, we kind of have a neutral perspective to it. Uh, so we kind of ask the questions without judgment, uh, not going, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know, building up some new emotion of anger, like or disappointment or shame or guilt or anything like that. We just approach it with uh, without any judgment. Uh, when we kind of take that approach to it, when we're starting that process. Um, and then as we develop our sensitivities, we can also then tap into the collective consciousness and say, oh, these are the prevailing emotions that are in there. But what's really important to understand is uh, any of the emotions that we can feel as human beings or animals can feel exist in the collective consciousness. So, uh, you know, grief is a, you know, a process of emotions that exists in the collective consciousness as well. Once we become aware of that, we can then start to work on it ourselves and say, you know what? This doesn't belong to me. Yes, there's an element. I understand there's an element of that I need to heal within myself. But the overwhelming part of the emotion doesn't belong to me. And then you can let that go. Now you've taken power over your own experience. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So for me, um, my experience, my first experience of collective consciousness consciousness is on a personal level like um at a meditation retreat so i had a very long meditation which is unexpected like i didn't intend to sit for that long but somehow or rather i just went there and then when i came out I felt like I was connected to everything, the trees, the sky, everything. And that was something I never, ever experienced. And I was only 18. Mm. And it completely changed my whole paradigm because I was a student. I was a student and uh, it was very personal, very, I, I wanted to be in there forever, like in that state forever. And I know that if I were in that state forever, my whole life changes because I cannot go back to society because my whole identity has completely been erased. Like I'm not a student. I'm neither this country nor that country. I'm like, I was just, I don't know what to do with my life because I was really at a loss. Like the whole paradigm shift was so great that I thought, oh no, like I can't even hold a job now. I can't even go back to school because now I feel like, you know, I can feel everything. Like I can feel the air, the sun, the, the trees. And, and even that is not my thoughts, even not my feelings. It's just a perception, a very subtle perception. So that was the first time that I was suddenly aware about the presence of this field. So I will call it not a consciousness, but more like I felt like I was a consciousness, an observation point um, that is, and I'm in tune with the field. So I suddenly felt 
the presence of a field. And um, that was totally mind blowing because I never intended for that to happen. And I believe it came because of my past life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of like, I never kind of like thought about all these things. I was just a student. I just had a boyfriend and I was just going through the whole system. And suddenly this, this thing happened to me and I felt that I almost cannot live my life anymore. Like I have to go to some support system so that I cannot make, because I felt I cannot make any choices anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I felt like I have no more will to live. Like either like, I, I just felt like a tree. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I felt like I'm a tree that I can't make the decision anymore in my life to do anything. Like, it was totally, I, I had an entire, but I, because it was not a logical thing, um, I told, I told, it was like, I was, com- I don't know whether I was communicating psychically with my spirit or something but I felt like there was another part of me a higher part of me and there's a smaller part of me that is afraid about my identity losing my identity and I was Mm -hmm. negotiating with I don't know what it is I don't feel that it is something else but I was negotiating saying like I'm not ready for this like I'm not ready for this realization or whatever right now I need to go back to society otherwise I will be in a mental hospital (laughs) I really felt that way and that I negotiated it so that was my first time and after that I because I negotiated this my whole life I for the past like uh, ever since then I kind of lost touch with that and I kind of never thought about this experience because I avoided that because (laughs) I was so afraid about my identity being lost. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but interestingly, so all of these are my personal experience. So um, intellectually, I've never thought about, like I've read about coll- collective consciousness, but um, I've never kind of been an intellectual person to, you know, find empirical evidences from quantum physics and things like that and reading. So I'm not really like a, a reader kind of person. But interestingly, I, I thought about that. Like I read somewhere like when someone invents something somewhere, right? That can invention is kind of in the air. Mm-hmm. And then people from different locations pick it up. So it's similarly like we have different eras, like in the ancient uh, Stoic uh, Greek time, they have a certain kind of philosophy. And from, so I feel that, yeah, uh, my belief is like there is this field where all these ideas, what I call thought forms, are all existing, all the entire infinite range from, you know, the darkest to the brightest. Mm -hmm. And then we are kind of like the receivers. So depending on how we develop our, our, you know, energy body or whatever, right, we kind of can tune in and pick up these things because I do see that in myself. Like, I do see that, um, I do, I do like, I don't know at what level I see it, but I see like we can pick up, those kind of waves they are like waves and then we can kind of be attached to that 
and in tune with that. So it's kind of like radio frequency transmitter. Mm -hmm. It's an energy. It's energy. Everything is energy, right? Uh, yeah. So the the challenge is, my my is when you describe the first experience. I think because I recognize it, I've been through that process myself, mm. and uh, it is, you know, when you when you have those experiences, you tend to be ungrounded. And the job then is to get grounded, uh, to bring the experience into the physical uh, experience. Because the, the, it's very easy to kind of go up there and be like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. Uh, I don't want to be on Earth anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's – so it, the challenges for most people is that we walk kind of sleepwalk through life and we we're just on this pendulum back and forth and being affected without uh, kind of living with intention and choice right so we it's when we start to tap into consciously and uh, with intent tap into those energies that we, we start to make choices as to how we experience it. Uh, so it can, because it can be very easy to uh, kind of surrender to, if we take fear as an emotion within the collective consciousness, it can be very uh, easy to uh, surrender to the collective fear. And then you start acting or you may start making choices based on that fear that yeah. really has nothing to do with you uh, it's just that you're picking up picking it up from the collective consciousness um, so when we are aware of that we we can start to make choices what we tap into and what we don't tap into and if we can tap into it and understand it and not hold that then we can go and help others uh, with their challenges. Can I ask this question? Because I struggle with that. Because, um, because we, there's a wide range of things that we can tap into. So um, I kind of want to need a structure. Like I need like a moral code and things like that. So that, you know, I'm, I have this fear of that my consciousness is not strong enough. It's not bright enough. To um to always stay in line with this uh you know the good side, so like there's some we could be like some addictive behavior and things like mm -hmm. that. So I have some memories about why I chose to be born in a certain you know location because there's more structures, and uh but even though those same structures limit me. I feel limited by that. So I'm wondering, like, how can we make our consciousness, uh, like, able to make those right choices? Like, is it just we have to keep our energy clear and clean? Yeah, uh, part of it is energy hygiene and spiritual hygiene, for sure. Um, and, and always choosing the higher frequency. Uh, because this is what, what we're talking about here, is being able to choose the experience you have. Uh, and there's no judgment as to, in terms of what, what experience you choose to have. 
But if you if you kind of move through move in it move through it with intent and say you know what I want to experience it from a higher vibration, then you approach you start approaching things with love, compassion, acceptance, forgiveness, gratitude, and so forth. And that when you do that, then you automatically uh, kind of push the dark or the shadow side uh, kind of or the shadow parts aside right does that make sense because the we you know including the collective consciousness there is the shadow side to everything like uh, Carl Jung talks, talks about so we all have a shadow side and that is and that's the part that is there to be integrated you know we have our core wounding we if that's your thought or your belief system you have your past lives all of those things come into play into the your own consciousness as well as the collective consciousness because when we exist in this plane when this reality construct we our energy or our consciousness becomes part of the collective consciousness. And this is where I always talk about, you know, uh, to find the optimal version of yourself and to show up as a role model in, in your community and your networks, because then you are starting to feed in a version of you into the collective consciousness with intent that is going to be to uh, or benefit to humanity. So if we take these great uh, civic leaders of uh, history, you have Gandhi, you have uh, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, uh, Mother Teresa, uh, I think the Pope, uh, from my perspective anyway, the Pope is doing a good job in kind of becoming or being role models, and they affect so many people, right? And going, if you take any of these, you know, take Martin Luther King and being able to feed in to the collective consciousness by changing how everybody else is seeing it and moving through that experience without fear and applying love, compassion, forgiveness, gratitude, acceptance, and so forth, then you can enact change on a very deep level and broad uh, broad plane as well without fear and aggression and all of those things so it is as you know from a personal uh, individual perspective it is our responsibility to show up the way we want to show up and be the change we want to see in the world yes thank you because i have this fear that um because I'm sensitive, I will absorb the consciousness energy and then I will, you know, get into low energy um, and not be able to be firm enough to make, to keep to the higher energies. Like, so I, I feel like some, um, we need to have, someone needs to have a strong kind of a, I don't know, strong light enough, strong enough light so that they know their own identity. So if their, their light is not strong enough, like they tend to absorb other kind of dark energies and 
Well, and I, th I think that comes down to uh, the boundaries that we have. So if, and we all have the same light within us because we are all the same. In terms of energy, we are all the same. We all come from the same place. We, you know, it is that collective consciousness, right? We are all connected. Um, so it is a choice that we make whether to accept our light or not, to accept our part in the collective consciousness or not. Uh, if we don't, you know, if we are sleep, sleepwalking through life, been there, done that, um, then we accept that we don't, we don't exercise that choice that we have uh, to make, to kind of show up the way we want to show up. But we are showing up the way that our environment expects us to. So, you know, I come from a you know, reasonably conservative background in Sweden. Sweden is not very conservative to begin with, but, you know, um, as conservative as it goes in Sweden. Um, and taking a step away from that, yes, that does take courage. You know, you are shifting, you are shedding part of your identity to to become your own person, to become uh, kind of that purpose that you feel that you have in this lifetime. Uh, so you were talking about, you know, being afraid to lose your identity. Yes, I mean, once you shed that identity, part of you or that part of that identity that you held before dies. And that's scary to a lot of people because you it is kind of a near-death experience because you are suddenly not the same person. And that person you were yesterday doesn't exist anymore. And moving through that with acceptance and showing compassion for yourself and you know, just saying it's okay, you know, uh, that requires, that brings, or you come into that with a level of courage. When we are tapping in, yes, absolutely, in order to tap into to the collective consciousness and to uh, decide, or rather to understand that you don't need to have aspects of yourself triggered by the collective consciousness uh, there is there is the choice, but also we need to have those boundaries to say, you know what, I don't need to take this on. I, cho I choose to have a higher frequency. I choose to look at the world with acceptance and compassion. I choose to look at it with, you know, seek to collaborate, seek to cooperate, um, and so forth. I think a lot of what, Mamie is talking about too, is that, you know, I mean, I, as an American woman, taught English in South Korea for a year in the 90s. And one of the biggest aha moments that I had was the fact that in the United States, we focus on the I. And when you go to Korea or you go to Asia, they focus on we. So a lot of the concept was the we Koreans do this, we Koreans do this, we Koreans do that. So it's a it's a third person collective consciousness that is also culturally built into the, the norms for, you know, that part of the world. And I think that I was watching a really fascinating um, 
documentary on Elon Musk yesterday, which I really related to, which was that he focused on outcast motivation. And the outcast motivation means that when you get to a point where nobody really supports you in your own culture, you almost have this opportunity to become a renegade in your own space because you're not attached to anybody any longer. So in a sense, it's almost like for me, it's, it's thanking my bullies, my people who have, you know, <laughs> like literally, you know, shunned me or whatever they've done to push me out because from there I had to be able to create my own identity. And I think that's the part too, in the sense of where if you, if you long and you wish and you're culturally habituated to need to be a part of the conscious collective on the 3D, not even just energetically, then you'll never ever pull away from that because it will always be that the conscious collective of the third person, the, the we this and we that, and we do this and this is how we do it, will always pull you and rope you back. But it's in the individuation where you change your perspective because you say, no, this is how I'm gonna do it because of the fact that I'm now stepping out of that norm. So that's, that's a huge shift, but it's difficult. So, I mean, what Mei Mei is talking about, that that's not easy to do because that's centuries and centuries of conditioning, but it's really, really important. No, absolutely. And that, that goes back to, to talking about the, the conditioning that we have from uh, our cultures or our families or, you know, the religion or politics, whatever background we come from. Uh, now, in some cultures, that certainly adds another layer to it. Um, but it's even though it is difficult but you sometimes you don't have a choice like you're saying Barbie it's like you get to a point where you can't continue the same way that you are operating any longer it it just gets too overwhelming for your uh, for your consciousness and then the only option you have is to jump off the pendulum and make your choice as to how you experience things. And, uh, and that, that's kind of where I see the, the sudden awakening, whether that being spiritual, societal, or cultural, or however you look at it, um, that you just suddenly realize you shift that mindset into, or shift that paradigm into a completely different paradigm or you start looking at things from a very very different perspective all of a sudden well, but, like, but it's right. still in the i remember that like i used to love watching star trek to the next generation there's like a whole perspective of what's called the borg are you familiar with the borg christopher uh i've watched uh star trek a few times but no i can't say i <laughs> so Basically, the Borg was a completely 100% like, you know, they were all in lockstep with each other and they were like this block of, of consciousness. And the, the total thing that they kept saying over and over was resistance is futile. Mm. Resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. The Borg is the conscious collective and you are going to do whatever you want. The problem, though, is the fact that with people and, you know, one of my between Titanic and the original Matrix movie. Those are my two top like one movies ever. And when you look at it from the perspective that conformity becomes this corset 
becomes this girdle, this thing that is so tight around you that you absolutely have to do everything exactly the way that, you know, the construct tells you that has to be. And that's the beauty of the imagination. That's the beauty of being able to step out and have a, a different opinion about things. It doesn't mean that you're against anybody else. It just means that you're for yourself and your own, you know, wanting to do something different. And so you basically, you know, you bust all of those stays in the corset and you just say, no, I don't want to be, you know, constricted in this sense. And stepping out of that energy, there is a freedom in that sense personally. And that doesn't have anything to do with, with anything, any other kind of construct of freedom, but being able to think for yourself is one of the most beautiful things that we have as human beings. And that's something of where, you know, stepping out of that space. And even it's like, I was even like pontificating about the fact that even the spiritual practice that I have, you know, that I've been practicing for the last 30 years, I was reading some of the literature that other people had as their own experiences and I was reading some of the things that people were writing and I realized that it was a conflagration of old, like very Judeo-Christian philosophies with this spirituality that had crept in, but then they had it as almost like a pseudo, you know, ideology of saying like, oh, this is what this is and that whatever. And I was like, no, you actually literally just completely perverted and you completely diluted the whole like universal truths because you, you looked at it through a filter and a lens of something that isn't accurate. So when we take our own biases and we take our own kind of, you know, limitations, and then we put it on something that's a universal truth, we don't allow the universe, universal truth to be out there. So that that's something of where, you know, I mean, I had to really, really work with that. I had to be like mm -hmm. in, in an aha moment of saying like, wow, why, why is it that people are, you know, stating that this is this and this is that, but it's really, really important that you start to really question everything Absolutely. and questioning everything means that you have the opportunity from that perspective of like, well, why do I believe that? Well, why do I think this? Why do I think that? And, you know, there's so many things right now where it is so sad to see that talking points go from one place to the next place. And then you see the exact same people. You can see a hundred people who literally just parrot the same talking points over and over and over and over and over again. And the people that are actually parodying the talking points, they don't even know the genesis of where the talking points even came from. They're just saying them because they sound good or they came from the Associated Press or wherever. And the problem is the fact that it's still, the genesis of it hasn't been analyzed. It hasn't been critically looked at to see whether or not that's even true. And then you just have parrots who the mockingbirds, it just literally, you know, they, they quack back and forth in the same thing. And it's like, to me, I want the thoughts that I have to say to be original thoughts that actually come from my own thinking, my own critical thinking, not just the fact that I heard it from somebody. So therefore it's fact. Yeah, and I think that's part of that aspect of the awakening in humanity, you know, the, the whole check your sources and understand where the information is coming from. Uh, I mean, that's becoming more apparent every single day. Um, and it is one of those things that when we show up, with our own perspective and our own energy, our own authenticity, we can look at the information and say, does this resonate with it? Am I energetically in tune with this as being true uh, truth or not? And that's 
absolutely part of, but the, the, I think the collective consciousness has a tendency to feed in to that, that process and say, this is the information we want out there kind of thing. And collectively, everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah that's <laughs> the information we want out there. And that, therefore, the, that is the information that's being fed. Um, it completely has to match the narrative, because if you've decided that you have gone all in on a particular opinion, and then from that perspective, then all of a sudden, like things have deviated, that's the part that, you know, being able to say, oh, you know what, my bad, I made a mistake. You know what, that thing that I said three days ago that I thought that this was this, actually, that's incorrect. So I'm going to retack and re redirect my course. But instead, people just double down on it. And then it's like, you know, okay, well, I was wrong three days ago. But now I'm, I'm not going to admit that I was wrong three days ago. So I'm going to double down on this now, because that fit what I was there. And then it just becomes this, again, it's a corset. It's this corset. It's this girdle of like, conformity that becomes so constricting and then the people don't even know what the truth or the lies are any longer they have no clue mm -hmm. well no, there is that perception that we have to be right otherwise we're going to lose face or people are going to uh think that we're being flaky or you know they're going to be judging us in some way or another right and if we can but being able to stand on our own two feet or two legs and say, this is what I believe in. And if someone else comes along and says, well, actually I've seen this and I have this information, you can say, well, okay, well, perhaps there's another version to it that I'm not aware of. And just being open to accepting that the truth is a paradox. There are many versions of truth, depending on what perspective you look at it from, right? And that's the same in the collective consciousness. You know, when you look in certain, uh, if you have conflict between two countries, there's going to be two, two versions or two collective versions of that truth. And it's being able to accept that there is only one ultimate truth. We don't actually know what that is yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have the concept of mind to understand the ultimate truth, right? Uh, yeah, so Christopher, thank you, because you spoke about how we can exercise the uh, our choice, right? Mm -hmm. Our choice and decision and how we interpret things to counter the collective fear and the collective violence and all these things, yes. I, I do I do see that and I do subscribe to that. But for me personally, and um, I have some imprint of my past life, um, pre-birth and all these things, right? So, which is not voluntary and I did not intend for it to happen. It just suddenly it just imprinted on my on its surface. So, so one of the fears that is that... Um, is that I am afraid that my, my self-identity is not strong enough to make that kind of clear choices. So like uh, if faced with a choice to join a war, to kill someone, so I was afraid that I might, I was doubting my ability to make the choice of non-violence. Um, so that is why I chose to be born in a very strict moral code so that, you know, I, I will, my boundaries will be additional so that due to this identification with this religion, I will not, uh, I will not 
you know, do violence against someone and I'd rather be killed than kill. Because if I were to kill, I would exercise that vibration of, you know, um, uh, this, this negative vibration. But if I were to be killed, right, I could go through that kind of uh, personal transformation of, you know, of, 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 you know, sometimes being killed is, is unless you die in misery, but if you can also be, so anyway, in my view, to be killed is more, more uh, how do I say, so I chose that in um, pre-birth, right, so, so, so that's, that's the thing, that's so I have, I've always doubted my strength in the ability to have a strong personal choice in, you know, certain kind of, uh, points and you know under certain uh, social influences like if everyone is taking drugs I will probably be taking drugs so I'm I'm kind of my boundary is not so good so so then then that comes to the point that I thought about it maybe we um rather than choices we can we are also inclined we can build our inclinations, right? We are more inclined to make certain choices if we have made them 1,000 times, we will probably make the same choice for the thousand and first time, right? Yeah. So that that was some aspect that I was also thinking about. But like, how do we actually... So so that, that was one choice. And um, yeah, I was trying to wonder if there's any other way other than making choices that, you know... Um, and of course, um, when tapping into the collective consciousness, right, um, that, that is my fear that, you know, because my receiver might not be so clear, I might, you know, tap into a certain kind of direction. But at, regarding the, the, the later point where, you know, there are two versions of truth, that is a separate point. But only recently I've been... I have this epiphany around that because all along I always thought that there's one truth that the world is a certain way like the world is um the world is not nice to live in actually so and I always wanted to escape <laughs> so I always wanted to leave earth and all this kind of thing and not be on here anymore uh so only recently I realized yes the whoever that's experiencing it, even someone who is experiencing war or famine or poverty, we think that they are suffering, right? We are projecting our our experience onto them. But for them, I realized that they have their own truth, which is unique to the aspect of the universe. So in their experience of their life, they they might experience a breakthrough which is a learning growth for the spiritual journey. So mm -hmm. that is why sometimes we see like very, uh, even a very poor man or some, someone, they can make an enormous amount of generous act compared to a millionaire. So I feel that, so I feel that, yeah, now I realize, yeah, we should not like, yeah, there's various infinite truths out there. Um, and everybody's experience truth is true according to his experience because of his aspect of his observation yeah. so yeah so thank you so i just share your thoughts I, I, about that so that's something very new yeah i mean and barbie can certainly speak more to this than i can in terms of the uh, uh 
the Holocaust and kind of the survivors of the Holocaust that move through that experience and come out of with out of it with a level of uh, acceptance and forgiveness. Um, it doesn't mean that they necessarily accept that or agree with what was perpetrated against them, but they uh, move through that level of forgiveness that they can then shift their mindset and live um, their life joyously. Um, so Viktor Frankl is a very good example of this. He's a psychotherapist from uh, Vienna who went through several death camps and uh, survived. Um, and he's written books about his experiences and talking about, you know, hope and so forth. Um, but the, yes, I mean, as I said in the beginning, uh, pain in our lives is inevitable. There will be pain. Can't get away from it because you can't experience the joy and the the pleasure if you don't experience the pain because in order to experience either or to experience pleasure you need to know what pain feels like in order to experience the uh, counterpart right so it's it is uh, but it is the suffering that we choose to do so how do i perceive uh, so if we take the example of the uh, collective consciousness, this fear that exists or despair or whatever we tap into. So let's say I embody that fear from the collective consciousness. Now, that's pain within me to experience that. But how do I perceive that experience? Do I perceive it as something is being done to me and I am now... Uh, you know, life is not worth living anymore because I'm experiencing this fear or I, I retreat into uh, something else or however I react to it or do I move through it with a, an understanding about how I connect or how I am affected by the collective consciousness? Do I learn from it, right? And that's the difference between the the kind of victimization of myself as opposed to uh, learning or kind of the the hero story if you like or learning something about how i experience uh, things external to myself so you know as we have our experiences with the collective consciousness it's not learning about this is how the collective consciousness is in terms of the the state of affairs because it changes all the time it's not permanent it doesn't stay the same it always fluctuates uh, and it depends where you are in the world as well uh, you know what what kind of uh, energies are prevailing in those areas as well um, so it's it's really how we we decide to or rather how how am I affected by it? How do I show up? How do I react to it? That's the experience. That's the learning. That's, that's the benefit. That's the gift I, uh, I get from it. So I know last week, I personally, I was certainly tap or feeling a lot of anxiety. I was feeling a lot of fear and, you know, had to uh, clear out or get help to get uh, clear a lot of that uh, energy out 
um, because there was obviously watching a lot of the news and you know wanting to see a resolution or a resolve to the or to end of the suffering and or the the yeah the suffering of the the innocents and all all of that but then you clear that energy out and now uh, you can look at okay where does that come from okay that comes from there how was i affected by it why was i affected by it what can i do to work with this energy as as opposed to allowing it to control me right so there is so when we're talking about boundaries that is something that you build up over time and being able to work with the energy as a in a collaborative fashion as opposed to allowing it to control you then that allows you to build up those boundaries and uh, jeffrey allen puts it very well when he talks about when the energy that you hold is your responsibility and you allow everybody else to control the energy outside of you so you accept that everybody else have their own journey you accept that they deal with things that way but you're responsible for your own energy and that way you can hold those boundaries and and move through that experience the way you want to i think most people including myself previously tend to get into the victimization standpoint yeah, yeah because of collective consciousness we see fear and you know things to be fearful fearful about things we dislike and then we we can't we tend to feel that that is you know we just cannot control it and it's it's very different to be feeling victimized versus taking your own interpretation of it and making your choice to to control your emotions decide on your emotions and your mental state and how you view it yeah mm-hmm. absolutely and it's I think the first step in gaining those boundaries is to understand that you have a choice and know that, you know, one book that I really felt helped me in building my boundaries uh, was the four agreement um, where, you know, it's don't make any assumptions, uh, don't take anything personally, always do your best and use your words impeccably. So if you can do all of those things, then then that that allows you to have good boundaries and that then also allows you to know yourself in a completely different way so that you, whatever is new, and I teach this in my psychometry classes, uh, is that, you know, find your baseline, your baseline of experiences so that you know when something new comes in that you don't that is not that that changes that baseline you can immediately go hmm interesting there's something new here where does that come from and then you can gain understanding you can gain insight as to where the energy is coming from so if your baseline changes into anxiety or fear or uh, despair or something else then you can notice that because you're you're constantly observing yourself 
from your awareness, you have an awareness of all your experiences and that baseline at any given time. And that, that's not a conscious process per se. So it doesn't take any effort. Uh, it is something that you, you just exist from that state and then you can uh, perceive any changes that come in and you say, okay, where does that come from? And then you intuitively, you will know, oh, that's the collective consciousness. All right. Okay. Well, is this, this so this doesn't belong to me? No, then you can release it, right? Um, and you, you just allow yourself to hold that higher frequency. But the awareness is the first step. And having those boundaries will then allow you to tune in and uh, know where things come from. Uh, because you've now developed a higher level of intuition. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> it's when you, when you are the master of yourself, you, you automatically have those boundaries, right? You know, you may not control your emotions or your feelings, but you're aware of them. So you are the master of knowing yourself. Uh, and then the question is, how do you respond to it? How do you respond to that emotion that comes up? So if you have that fear come up, do you respond by being short-tempered, lashing out, or you know, reacting from the emotion as opposed to perhaps just looking at it without judgment and allowing yourself to, to now understand where it's coming from and seeing it as uh, it, it's there to teach you something about yourself. So like Barbie was saying before, you know, question everything, question the motives, question why you're responding in a certain way and question, you know, your intentions and what you're looking to uh, get uh, kind of the gifts you're uh, going to get out of it. You know, the key aspects here is that we have a collective consciousness uh, and we can choose to either be controlled by it or we can work with it. And just knowing that from an individual perspective that we receive and send into it in equal measures. And if I want to see a better world, then... It, uh, from an individual perspective, it is my responsibility to show up in that uh, in that way that I want, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world, right? And uh, it's once we know that, once we can do that, then we have empowerment to forge our own path, and we can accept that everybody else is doing what they want to do but that we are, we are on an individual basis taking that responsibility. Yeah, Christopher, so you were saying um, the key is to know our baseline, where our baseline is, so that we can know what is coming up from the collective consciousness and uh, that is from the outside, um, that, is not own, that is kind of not our energy, is that mm -hmm. your main point as well. Yeah, no, and uh, the baseline, when I talk about the baseline, it is really all the experiences that you have. 
So, for example, how are you breathing? Are you doing shallow breaths from top of your lungs? Or are you breathing nice and smooth through your nose, from the belly? Are you, you know, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are you feeling? What's the temperature like? You know, all of these experiences that you have as a uh, sentient being, whether that being on a physical level, mental level, or energy level, or even if you can tap into deeper than that, into the soul or the astral level, that all becomes part of your baseline. And once you have the ability to just maintain awareness of that at any given time, you can then catch on very, very quickly or immediately that there's a change to the baseline. And then you can, once there's a change, you can say, oh, interesting, where does this come from? And because you asked the question, you're now compelled to get an answer. I love everything you're saying. And the only thing I want to bring up as mm -hmm. someone who completely um, has, I have become very in tune and aware of my um, empathy levels and how high they are and, and understanding what that actually means isn't just that I can feel what other people are feeling in the moment and being in the same space with them, but that I can truly feel them far beyond. Um, so talking about in empathy versus empath. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe, and maybe you can help me understand the difference between being, I mean, cause the way it's been explained to me in the last couple of years is that um, those who have very high empathy tend to be empaths. Um, but one of the things that I was going to speak on, you were talking about knowing your baseline is that when you have a person who is already in crisis or going through a really difficult time, which for me, I just went through a divorce. So my baseline was, was very unsteady as mm -hmm. is, but there were days when I would start to feel better and I would be making progress. And then all of a sudden I would shut down and I would fall apart. And what I found helpful for, for myself was to start to recognize, um, like one to just let myself feel what I was feeling. But then also I, I personally would start to muscle test myself mm -hmm. to ask the question, like, is this mine? Is what I'm feeling right now my own or does this belong to someone else? And then when I would realize that what I was feeling was someone else's, then I could let it go and, and say, you know, and I would ask the question, like, do I need to learn anything from this? Is it serving me? Okay. You know, let me let this go. And not only did I let it go, but um, especially if I could identify where it was coming from. And even if I didn't, I would actually be very intentional to send peace and positive energy to whoever it was that mm -hmm. I was getting this from, because obviously someone was in pain, mm -hmm. someone was hurting. And so I would then not just let it go, but also try to put positive energy out to support that person. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, and you should be another conversation two weeks ago, when we were talking about empaths and the highly sensitive mm -hmm. people. Um, uh, Cause that, that fits in very well with that. And, uh, the the uh, empaths are always empathic, but empathic people are not always empaths. Uh, so you can be a highly empathic person, uh, and that simply means that you recognize uh, 
an emotion or an idea within someone else. An empath actually takes that emotion on as their own. So recognizing it to a level where you are experiencing it yourself doesn't mean that you're taking on their emotion. You're just uh, kind of, you're, you're, exp- you're kind of triggering yourself up to the level where you're experiencing it. But you're experiencing it in parallel to them as opposed to with them, linear to them, if that makes sense. Um, and yes, empaths are tremendously challenged during times of uh, uh, you know fluctuation in the uh, in the uh, collective consciousness, because as well as picking up energy from uh, individuals around us, we pick up inf- we pick up emotions from the collective consciousness. So if there is a heightened state of emotion in the collective consciousness, if you're and I use this term a little bit lightly, but uh, untrained uh, empath, then you t- uh, and uh, basically an untrained empath is not someone who doesn't necessarily know they are an empath or haven't worked with it, or they don't have the boundaries to work with it. Um, then you are affected, and you go. I go back to uh, Vadim uh, Zeland's terminology of the pendulum. Then you are stuck on the. You're holding on to the pendulum for dear life. You uh, because you're allowing. Yes, you are allowing it to affect you as if it was your own. Um, and you, people might not realize what's going on, but absolutely, I think muscle testing, if you're attuned to how to do muscle testing, I think that's a fantastic way of, of doing it. Um, I tend to uh, trust my intuition that I ask my intuition and, and it feeds me information and feeds me the answer. Uh, I tend to use that instead, but you know, using muscle, muscle testing is a, a wonderful way of doing it. We, the um, co- the program that Barbie and I co-founded together with Tula uh, called the Infinity Life, we use uh, muscle testing as uh, uh, one of the central parts in that program uh, when we're testing our frequency where we are uh, in our. Uh, frequency as we're doing the work on ourselves so uh, so yeah it's and uh, you know as when we go through crises oftentimes we you know we become overwhelmed and we and you know when there is heightened sensitivity in the collective consciousness we can get overwhelmed same thing uh, because all of these things are fractals of each other. So what happens on an individual level happens in your community, happens in the collective consciousness. Um, and they are the same energy. They are just, you know, diff- different uh, levels of it, as it were. Um, so, yeah, we when we get that overwhelm, it is very challenging to deal with all the inputs that are coming because they're, they're changing so quickly, right? So when we are in a crisis mode, we kind of sink to our lowest level of preparedness. So uh, if you have worked with 
energies and emo your emotions and you have worked with uh, with yourself and your core woundings and all of that for you know good time then uh, your preparedness is to deal with that overwhelm is probably going to be better so my preparedness today is a heck of a lot better than it was 10 years ago right so when i when i am challenged when i am triggered today i am i don't succumb to it in, in the same way or sometimes i don't succumb to it at all but when there is such an onslaught like there's been now for the past five days, it is very challenging. And you, uh, from my perspective anyway, I get overwhelmed. And, but then I, I have the tools to sit down and meditate. I work with uh, Barbie, for example, helps me uh, clear my energy and so forth. And it's having those tools then allows me to come back on, uh, on, be on track a lot quicker again. So it's just working with the tools that you have, but then to continue to give yourself uh, more sets of tools to work with uh, when you are challenged. Because we're always going to get challenged. That's part of the process. That's part of the, a part of life to be challenged. You know that uh, experiencing that pain, so that we can experience the uh, the opposite of that pain at a later date when we have actually uh, learned what we're supposed to learn. Um, so yeah, it's a um, being able to constantly evolve within our own experiences and learn from them. Uh, as we move through life and become more and more prepared. If we sleepwalk through life, which I did for about you know, a good 44 years, I wasn't preparing myself. I just continuously repeating the same patterns and habits all uh, you know, over and over again and uh, not realizing, or, you know, why is life doing this to me? And then you wake up one morning and you go, no, actually, the, this is not working. <laughs> Let's change this and see how we can uh, work this better. Um, so, yeah, I, I was in New York during 9-11. And, uh, you know, at that time, I was firmly asleep at the wheel, as it were. Um, and I was tremendously affected by it. it was, I was in so much pain. It was ridiculous. Uh, but at that time, I was... You know, I pushed it down. I was like, nope, I'm not affected, uh, you know, more than anybody else, you know. Um, but then it obviously came rushing back like a freight train later in life. So, so yeah, allowing yourself to kind of work, do the work within yourself, you're doing yourself a great service. So I actually, I have, um, I started a nonprofit a few years ago to support individuals who've lost loved ones to suicide. And for the last 20 years, I have been trying to um, understand suicide, understand mental health, and really understand the grieving process mm -hmm. and the healing process, really, to be more specific. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say in addition to that self-work that I know that it's, and I'm a huge believer in self-work and in self-healing um, and having that ability, but I also, I would love to throw out there, as you mentioned earlier, that you have had Barbie help you in times of need. 
that um, encouraging everyone that when things are really bad and when we do reach that point of overwhelm where it doesn't matter how much we've prepared or how much work we've done, sometimes that overwhelm does become so intense that Absolutely. getting outside help is, is something to search out and finding the outside help that works best for you. Absolutely. So I know for me, acupuncture, even before I understood what it was doing and how it was moving energy through my body, it changed my life it, and it saved my life in all honesty. And so I would encourage everyone, like when we're doing that self-work, we don't always have to understand every element of what we're doing for it to be positive um, within our systems and, and reaching out to others for help is, is a good thing. Absolutely. And the, the preparedness, you know, the tools I've built up, some I've built up by looking inside myself and understanding myself better, but most of them I've gotten through working with others, uh, either working with others as a coach or a mentor, or but also as a coachee or a mentee. Uh, and absolutely, I mean, it, if your path is to seek out help from a psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, from a healer, whatever it may be that you choose to do, absolutely do that because that that is part of that process of self-healing. Um, at the end of the day, working with reading a text or working with a person who is guiding you to find the place within yourself, uh, at the end of the day, you're always the one doing the healing. You are just working with what resonates at the moment to help guide you towards that place where you can understand how you can heal that aspect of yourself. Um, so absolutely, you're uh, absolutely right there, Jenny. Uh, always, you know, seek help. Reach out, whether it is a friend, a professional, however it is, always reach out. Um, and I, I've certainly been one of those people who uh, avoided doing that. And I, at times I have to kind of just bash myself over the head and say, just get someone to help you out, you know? Uh, and so it, it is a <laughs> constant learning uh, journey to uh, um, seek out, or to allow myself to seek help uh, from others because I always want to do it on my own, but uh, understand that that's not always feasible. And certainly if you, anyone listening to this, they're challenged by whatever, always reach out. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the bravest thing you can do. So when you do reach out, give yourself a pat on the uh, shoulder and say, I'm brave. You know? want to say for everybody listening is, you know, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel worried, it doesn't always have to be you that is feeling all of that. It can come from somewhere else too. And as we said before, you know, seek out someone to help you understand that and understand what part of it belongs to you and what doesn't. Because at the end of the day, if you are affected by something, there is an unhealed element of that which you are being affected of inside yourself. So yes, part of it always comes from you because if, if you didn't have it, you wouldn't be triggered. So just make sure to take care of each other and to, uh, you know, know that 
you can feed into the uh, collective consciousness all that beautiful love and compassion, acceptance, forgiveness, gratitude, and so forth. Um, but you have to live that. If that's your choice, thank you, and we appreciate it. If you don't, I accept that as well. So whatever you can do, uh, you know, show up as the best role model that you can be, and that's good enough. So we're certainly not advocating that you uh, ignore the emotions that you experience. On the contrary, uh, it is for you to be aware, fully aware of uh, all the emotions that go on within you, by understanding what belongs to you and what doesn't. If it doesn't belong to you, then you can release it. But of course, if it has come from the outside, there is an element of that same emotion that exists within you that remains unhealed. So that is the portion that uh, we suggest that you tend to and acknowledge. And if we're not used to feeling our emotions and allowing our emotions to go through our body and to communicate with us, it is always the best idea to seek out a professional who can help you work through that chaos and overwhelm so and give you the tools and resources to work uh, with these uh, emotions and uh, uh, energies on your own uh, in the future but and as with everything when we uh, when we don't have the skills and we don't have the tools we need to go out and find them and learn about them and bring them to us and master them for ourselves and finally, I just want to uh, urge everybody to stay safe out there and uh, thank you all for bringing your best version forward and to doing your best to feed in the best version of you to the collective consciousness so that we may in our lifetime experience peace and tranquility all across the world uh, for all humans to exercise their free will and to express themselves freely and so forth. So until next Friday, stay safe and take care. Bye for now.